Hey everyone, welcome to Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. We are doing our state series. So that's every Thursday. I I pick the next state that joined the union. We are on the eighth state, which is South Carolina. Very interesting. I thought it was so much more north than it is. I did not realize it was right above Georgia. So um, yeah, we're learning about South Carolina, the role it played in like the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, um, kind of where it is in modern times now. And then we talk about things you can do if you visit South Carolina and famous people that are from there. So I hope you enjoy and let's get into the episode. So before we get into like the history and the timeline of the state of South Carolina, I want to talk a little bit about like the capital and the geography, just so we have some context here about where we are. So South Carolina is bordered by um, Georgia, Tennessee, and North Carolina. So it's actually much more south than I realized. I thought it was uh i guess i didn't know really where it was i thought it was more mid united states but it's actually right above georgia so very very southern state and it is the 25th most densely populated so they take like an area of land and the average of people per square mile it ranks 25th so it's about average um, in population density. Now the capital is Columbia, South Carolina, and the nickname is the Palmetto State because of the palmetto trees, which is also the state tree. But we will get to all those fun symbols and things later. So for right now, I want to go through and do um, the timeline of the history of the state and all those big milestones and how it became a state and um, all of that good stuff. So. This says that from 10,000 to 8,000 BCE, the first Native Americans crossed into the New World from Siberia. Okay, we know about all that. The first permanent settlements appear around 1,000 BC. And it says that at least 29 distinct groups of Native Americans live in the South Carolina area prior to the European arrival. So. I don't know how to pronounce some of the, some of these, but two of the major groups are the Cherokee and the Santee Indians. Um, it says many of the tribes that once lived in South Carolina are now extinct due to European diseases and conflicts with settlers. So um, there were a lot of Native Americans living in the area when Europeans first settled. Okay, so between 1500 and 1600, these were the first like very early Carolina expeditions and settlements that kind of started so all throughout that time people were kind of exploring the coast and not setting up permanent settlements or anything but just exploring the area um so that includes in 1521 the first recorded spanish expedition that reached the carolina coast um in 1524 the french so the first french ship um scouts out the coast in 1526, the first Spanish attempt at a settlement. So settlements were attempted, but it didn't uh, get super far. Um, San Miguel de Guadal 
Guadalupe um, attempted a settlement. He was a Spanish um, explorer. The colony failed within the year, and only about 150 of the 500 settlers live and are able to make it back home. So not a very successful first colony. Okay, Hernando de Soto, which I definitely remember learning about in school. In 1540, he may have reached Carolina um, on a trek from Florida, but it's not confirmed necessarily. They just are kind of speculating that he might have gotten there. 1562 was the first French attempt at a settlement. This was made by Jean Ribot, and it was made on Paris Island, P-A-R-R-I-S. Um, also, I'm getting this from ereferencedesk.com, which is basically where I research all of these states because they have the most complete timeline that's actually full of enough detail. Some of these timelines have like way, 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 way too much detail. Like I saw this South Carolina timeline site that pretty much listed every terrible crime in the 2000s that has ever happened in South Carolina. And it also included things back to from all the way to like the 1600s. So it was like 30 pages long and included everything. E-reference has the right mix of detail and important events. Um, so uh, let's see, the settlement on Paris Island by Jean Rabot also fails within a year. And it said similar French attempts to settle in Florida bring about bloody Spanish massacre and equally bloody French reprisal. So it's not going well to try to settle in this region up until like, the, you know, 1560s. Um, in 1565, St. Augustine is founded, and in 1566, Spain decides to build coastal forts to discourage any French settlement, so they're kind of battling over this area of land. And the first uh, fort is Fort San Felipe. It's later rebuilt as Fort San Marco, and um, so those were like the two to try to discourage the French settlements. <clears throat> okay, then the British come into the picture. So in 1585, this is about 20 years later from the forts going up. So it's been a quite a bit. Um, the first attempted British settlement was founded on Roanoke Island, and that was founded by Sir Walter Raleigh. Um, it said it was destroyed by Native Americans, and the survivors are rescued by Sir Francis Drake. I definitely remember learning about this and Raleigh is the you know is a city um I believe it's in North Carolina so um all of this history is kind of in the perspective of both North and South Carolina because it wasn't until much later that they split so in the North Carolina episode we'll probably be recapping a lot of this history from uh South Carolina's episode okay so that first settlement failed. It was destroyed by Native Americans. The second attempt on Roanoke Island was also funded by Raleigh. And that also fails, but that fails within three years. All the settlers disappeared and they became known as the Lost Colony. So if you have heard of the Lost Colony, that was in the Carolinas, in this Carolina area. All right, then the Spanish withdraw from San Marco after Sir Francis Drake burns St. Augustine. So honestly, like not a great time to come to the Carolinas. 
a bunch of settlements have failed and now St. Augustine is uh, burned. So, okay, 1600s, uh, 1604, the first settlement at Jamestown, Virginia occurs. That's in 1604. 1620 is Plymouth Colony, so we're starting to actually settle the Americas. Uh, 1623, the first charter for the Carolina colony is granted to Sir Robert Heath by King Charles I. The charter, it said, would never be used. Um, and then this timeline goes into some other dates, so like, like Jamestown and Plymouth that aren't necessarily directly related to South Carolina. This says that um, Colonial Williamsburg was founded in 1633 and then Boston was founded in 1640. Um, King Charles I is tried by a court of Puritans uh, in 1649. He was convicted of treason and beheaded, and then Oliver Cromwell comes to power. Okay, this is where we come in. I mean, this is why they talked about Virginia, because in 1650, the first settlements near Albemarle Sound in what today is North Carolina um, so the first settlements appear in what is now North Carolina, um, and those were founded by frontiersmen from Virginia. So you can't really have a South Carolina until Virginia was kind of founded and established because the people that settled the Carolinas were from Virginia. Uh, the Prince of Wales, Charles II, assumes the throne in 1660, and then Charles II, as a repayment for their political support against the forces of Cromwell, grants eight ex-generals, the lords of, the lords proprietors, the title to Carolina. So the charter is later amended to include the Albemarle Sound in the settlements. So really, it's in 1663 that the title is actually formally given to the colony of Carolina. Okay, the Ashley River is named in 1666. And on June 23rd, uh, Captain Robert Sanford takes formal possession of Carolina for England and the proprietors. So even though the French and the Spanish were really the major players at the very beginning, the British, once they came and kind of settled it, were the you know, it was a British colony, like all these 13 original colonies were. But it's interesting that multiple countries were involved in the initial exploration and settlement, but then the British ended up kind of taking control. <clears throat> okay, 1669, the Fundamental Constitution of Carolina, which was written by John Locke, who was a very prominent philosopher, um, is approved by the proprietors. Its guarantee of religious freedom in language similar to Locke's A Letter Concerning Toleration has a profound impact um, on the development of the Charleston's social fabric, leading to the immigration of diverse groups, such as the French Huguenots and the Sephardic Jews. So, yes. So, John Locke is a major player in the Carolina colony, so he wrote the fundamental constitution and so yeah they had their whole thing was based on religious freedom maybe more than like a lot of the colonies their like religious freedom was f at the forefront so yes a lot of um different and diverse groups of people coming into carolina 
All right, Carolina colonists sail from London on three ships, the Albemarle, the Port Royal, and the Carolina. And this is in 1669. And then November of that year, the colonists reach Barbados. Their ships are struck by a hurricane and Albemarle is destroyed. And then Port Royal and Carolina ships are damaged. So two out of the three are damaged and one is completely destroyed. Okay. March 15th. Uh, in 1670, the Carolina ship arrives in Seawee Bay and proceeds to anchor at the north end of Bulls Island. Okay, then a month later, Charlestown is founded as the capital city of Carolina. And then, um, so that's across from, it says across the Ashley River from its current site on the main peninsula. So Charlestown is eventually... Um, I mean, is initially the capital of Carolina. It's very small. There's only about 200 to 300 settlers and about 30 houses. That's even two years after it was founded. So still really small. Um, and then the first large group of French Huguenots come in on uh, April 30th of 1680. So about eight years uh, after Charlestown is founded. In 1685, this is interesting. So Louis the Fourteenth, he revokes the Edict of Nantes, um, which basically guaranteed the rights of Huguenots in France. And so this made a lot of the French, uh, I think I'm saying that right, Huguenots, uh, immigrate to Carolina because of their religious freedom and then because of the persecution also in France at that time. It really sped up the immigration coming into uh, the. Uh, what am I trying to say? I want to keep saying South Carolina, but at this point they were just one, so the the Carolina colony. Charlestown is moved to the current site on the peninsula in 1690, and the population is now at 1,200, which seems really small, but it was actually the fifth largest city in North America at that time it's hard to remember that there were like really just not many people here at all. So a city of 1200 was actually very big. Okay. And then 1693, there was something called the Liberty of Conscience and it reaffirmed the rights of anyone to worship as they please. So we see in a lot of these other colonies, like you had to, well, there was some religious freedom and then they kind of went off the rails. But when we learned about some other colonies, they really regulated religion. So they banned um, or they highly discouraged like Jews from coming or anyone who wasn't their religion, even though um, their colony was kind of a safe haven for their religion. So for South Carolina, it was kind of this beacon of like, you can really do whatever you want, at least in you know, 1693. Okay. Uh, 1698, there are, there's an increase in importation of African slaves. It prompts a law that provides a cash incentive for bringing white servants into Carolina. So again, very, very Southern state. And so it's going to play a major role in the slave trade and being in the Confederate States, in the Civil War, and things like that. 
Okay, by 1700, Charlestown is now a major trading center and there's plantations inland along the rivers and so that economy is kind of starting to grow. The same year though, a big hurricane struck the city and then um, in November of that year, the city established a tax-supported free library and they say it's possibly the first public library in America. It seems like there's some debate about this because I think we just learned about, I think it was in Massachusetts where they also said that there was like the first free public library. So some of these are a little bit, they're unsure about who was actually the first. Okay. In 1706, there was a French and Spanish attack. So they teamed up and attacked Charlestown during the Queen Anne's War. And that is repulsed when uh, colonial forces captured the French vessel and crew. So they were able to fight it off, but the French and Spanish were both fighting together, teaming up in Queen Anne's War against Charlestown. Um, okay, so this is a big year. 1712, the territory of Carolina is divided into North and South. They, the Southern part of the territory thought that it had its like own culture and its own rules and enough of its own thing that it warranted its own government. And so they wanted to choose their own governor. And so that split didn't happen until 1712. I had assumed that it had started or that it had, it had split much earlier than that. Um, but no, uh, early 1700s is when that happened. Another big hurricane struck in 1713. There's something called the Yemassee Indian War. It lasts two years throughout Carolina and it was um, started in 1715. Okay, 1718, Blackbeard the pirate sails into Charlestown Harbor with four ships. He takes hostages for ransom. And then also in this year, the pirate Steed Bonnet is hanged at White Point. So they're right on the coast there, right, you know, kind of by Florida and the south. And there's like a lot of valuable stuff there. So they actually had their fair amount of run-ins with pirates. And... Um, I, I honestly didn't really know Blackbeard the pirate was real. I thought he was like a fictional character, but he was real and he took hostages in South Carolina. Okay, this says, in 1719, failure of the Lord's proprietors to protect colonists from various threats results in a revolutionary assembly. They petition the, the king to take over the reins of government. And so... In 1721, South Carolina becomes a royal colony, and then General Sir Francis Nicholson is made the governor. So it's kind of interesting how they had this proprietor's government, and then they petitioned the king to make it a royal colony, when just not that many years later, maybe it's like 60 years later, they're starting to talk about a revolution to overthrow the royal colony and like become an independent nation instead of being ruled by the British. Kind of interesting how it flipped in such a short amount of time, but it did. Okay. 1728, there's a regular passenger and shipping service that begins between Charlestown and New York. So this is really when 
the colonies and like the North American settlers and stuff begin a lot of regular trade within those colonies and travel as well. Okay, um, so even though in 1721 South Carolina becomes a royal colony, it takes until 1729 when King George bought out the Lord's proprietors and it finalized that South Carolina is in fact a royal colony. So it took about eight years to actually finalize that transition, which is kind of a long time. I thought it was instantaneous, like when it says that it became a royal colony, I would assume that's instantaneous, but um, it took a while for the proprietors to get um, fully bought out. Okay, Savannah is founded um, soon after James Oglethorpe and the first settlers of Georgia arrive in Charlestown Harbor. This says, um, the South Carolina Gazette resumes under Lewis Timothy, who is backed by Benjamin Franklin in 1734. So Ben Franklin, again, big, big player in that. Okay. This is kind of interesting. I don't know if it was necessarily worth putting on the timeline, maybe, but in 1736, uh, was the organization of America's first fire insurance company. So all these houses were made of wood. And I, you know, you always see these like colonial movies or TV shows or whatever. And they have like a fire department, a very rudimentary fire department. But fire actually started being a big concern. And so the first fire insurance company was all the way back in 1736. Okay, in 1739... There was a slave revolt along the Stano or Stono River. 40 blacks were killed and 21 whites were killed, it said. And um, yeah, so there's always, there's a kind of a common theme of tension, racial tension um, in South Carolina. So that, that was a slave revolt in 1739. On April 28th, 1740, news arrives of war against Spain and plans are made to attack St. Augustine, who, which is controlled by the Spanish. And then, let's see, by this time, Charlestown's population is about 6,800, so it's growing pretty significantly. Let's see, okay. In 1752, there's a lot of hurricanes on this timeline, but the Great Hurricane, they called it, happened in 1752. It killed almost 100 people, and it just devastates, like, Charlestown. Huge hurricane. So this is a another common thread. Hurricanes, like, every so often that just destroy a lot of things. Okay, so St. Michael's Church is the oldest surviving church building in the city and the first services at that church were held in 1761. Some of these also, some of these in this timeline, if you happen to look at ereferencedesk.com, are pretty specific to like people who live in South Carolina. Like they say, okay, this landmark was built then, uh, now, and it doesn't really explain what the landmark is, but it'll say like, this mansion is built now, this landmark is built now and as someone who has never been to South Carolina or is not from South Carolina 
sometimes I find that very confusing because I'm like, I don't know what that is. Um, okay. 1770 on July 5th, there's a statue of William Pitt that's put up and it is believed to be the first commemorating, like the first commemorating of a public figure in America. So that's kind of interesting. That started in 1770. Uh, the Charleston Museum was established in 1773. That's the oldest in the country. Okay, so then between 1774 and 1782 is this section that they label as the Revolution and the Siege of Charlestown. So the First Continental Congress had multiple Charlestonians, is what they call them. Um, so there are a few of those at the Continental Congress. And then Henry Middleton, who is a Charlestonian, uh, is the president of the Continental Congress in 1774. Let's see, the first Chamber of Commerce in America is formed, and that was in 1775. I'm trying to, like, kind of sweep through, like, the revolutionary stuff because there's just a lot that, that happens, and I don't want to go into every single battle, but... Um, okay, so 1777 early in the year uh south carolina said that every male citizen had to denounce the king and pledge loyalty to the state so very big like debatable um power move by the government but that happened in 1777 a major fire destroys a ton of buildings um, and there's some British loyalists that are suspected of arson in 1778. So whenever there's a war like this, there's definitely a lot of suspicion about, you know, anyone who kind of associates with the other side. We've seen this in like many wars, um, but it was no different. So there was a fire and then the immediate suspect suspicion was the British loyalists, which could very well be true. It doesn't say if it was true or not, but it was suspected. So there's a lot of rising tension uh, between British loyalists and patriots in America. Okay, 1779, it says, Unable to win a decisive battle in the northern states, the British prepare a massive combined sea and land expedition against Charlestown under the command of Vice Admiral Arbuthnot, General Sir Harry, Sir Henry Clinton, and Lord Cornwallis. So yeah, so between like when the war started and then 1779, there were a lot of battles in the north, but the British couldn't win a super decisive victory. So they started kind of moving their efforts to the south and trying to make some headway there. Uh, 1779 in December, General Washington orders 1,400 Continentals to join the forces of Benjamin Lincoln defending Charlestown. So they, um, they do that. There's a bunch of battles, and on March 29th, the British siege begins. It lasts for 40 days, and it says, After a bitter struggle, General Benjamin Lincoln surrenders Charlestown to the British, their greatest prize at the Revolutionary War. So they end up occupying Charlestown for two and a half years. They arrest citizens for encouraging resistance. They imprison them. And like 
the ones who are released have to sign an oath of loyalty to the crown in order to be released. So this was a pretty dark time for patriots in South Carolina because only loyalists or they would have to sign something that said that they were loyal to the crown. Uh, Colonel Isaac Hayne was a revolutionary leader of South Carolina militia. He's hanged by the British um, right outside of Charlestown. Okay, and then in 1781, American forces under General Nathaniel Green retake most of South Carolina and advance to within 15 miles of Charlestown. So Charlestown is still occupied, but the rest of South Carolina almost is retaken underneath um, like American control. I'm going to say American. Um, Okay, December. When news reaches London of Washington's defeat of Cornwallis at Yorktown, the British Parliament resolves to bring the war to an end. 1782. So by December of the next year, the British Army is defeated and it marches out of the city, so the occupation is then over. But that lasted over two and a half years. 1783 marks the incorporation of the city, the official adoption of the name Charleston instead of Charlestown. So Charleston is the, you know, 1783, August 13th, is the official date that Charleston becomes a city. Okay, there is now the College of Charleston Charter that was established in 1785, just a couple years after um, Charleston is founded. And then, as we talked about, the actual uh, capital of South Carolina is now Columbia. So that switch happened in 1786. And yeah, it was moved from Charleston to Columbia. Okay, Charles uh, Pinckney, 1787, he drafted a constitutional draft for the convention in Philadelphia, and Charles Pinckney is a South Carolinian. September of that same year, um, South Carolina delegates, let's see how many people it is, one, two, three, four. Oh, it delegates three men to... Wait, I'm so confused. It says Charles Pinckney twice, but then one of them says Charles C. Pinckney. Anyway, multiple South Carolinians signed the U.S. Constitution. Um, and that is, in, again, in 1787. Okay, um, Charleston Waterworks is founded in 1799, which is the city's first public utility. Uh, again, more hurricanes in 1804. There was the hurricane of 1804. So pretty self-explanatory, but they only put like the pretty destructive hurricanes on here. So that was um, a big one. So in 1818, it's about 14 years after that hurricane, Samuel F.B. Morse, and you might know that name because of Morse code. He arrives in Charleston. He wants to begin a printing business. And so, yes, he is the inventor of Morse code. Okay, 1822, 
The alleged slave uprising of Denmark Vesey is revealed to the authorities, and then he and five other associates are hanged on suspicion of an uprising. Um, okay, and then 1824. So like we were saying, or like I was saying, I guess, South Carolina was a place for a lot of religious freedom, and so there were many, many people of all different faiths. There were a large community of Jewish people that came into South Carolina. And so this says, in 1824, a group of members of Kahal Kadosh Beth Elohim formed the Reform Society of Israelites, making Beth Elohim the recognized birthplace of Reform Judaism in the United States. In that same year, the Medical College of South Carolina, which was the first medical school in the South, uh, was founded in 1824 as well. Okay, 1828 to 1829, this says a young army recruit named Edgar Allan Poe, name might sound familiar, uh, is stationed at Fort Moultrie on Sullivan's Island for a year, later sets his first published story, The Gold Bug, on Sullivan's Island. So had a, South Carolina had a very big impact on uh, Edgar Allan Poe and his writing. Okay, the first steam locomotive in America to pull passengers in regular service begins its route between Charleston and Hamburg, South Carolina in 1830. And then, let's see, some of these I really don't know the name. John James Audubon uh, arrives in Charleston to work on his Birds of America in 1831. Um, okay. 1851, renowned scientist Dr. Louis Agassi comes to Charleston to teach at the Medical College of South Carolina. He establishes a seaside lab on Sullivan's Island to study the flora and fauna of the Atlantic Ocean. This just all makes me miss being near an ocean. I'm in a landlocked state, and so... I would like to go visit South Carolina a lot and like maybe see this lab because for a hot minute there in like middle school, I kind of wanted to be a marine biologist. Um, and so it's cool that South Carolina has such a mix of things. Like you can go pretty inland. It's kind of big. And so you can go pretty far inland, but then you can be right on the ocean. A lot of the state is a coast. So, okay, um, 1860. On November 7th, Abraham Lincoln's election prompts the resignation of federal officials in Charleston. So, South Carolina is the first to secede from the Union. On December 20th, the Ordinance of Secession was ratified by a convention of the people in the state of South Carolina. That's in quotes. And, yeah, South Carolina was the first state, and it led the way in seceding from the Union because they were afraid that Lincoln would free the slaves. Okay, um, 1861, the first shots of the Civil War ring out on April 12th. Uh, and in December of that year, Union forces sink the Stone Fleet in the Harbor Channel to begin their blockade of Charleston. So again, Charleston's big in the Civil War and there's a lot of conflicts that happen in um, in South Carolina. 
1862, the Confederates repulse a Union attack during the Battle of Secessionville on James Island. And then there's a Battle of Simmons Bluff. Let's see. On April 7th of 1863, the Union sends a fleet of nine ironclad monitor warships to attack Fort Sumter. And then... There is a 587-day federal bombardment of downtown Charleston. It began with the explosion of a shell on Pinckney Street. So, there's just like so... I feel like Charleston has gone through so much already. So, they had that two-and-a-half-year occupation by the British. And then there is a 587-day federal bombardment of downtown Charleston. That starts on August 22nd, 1863. Um, the Confederate submarine, there was a Confederate submarine that rammed into the Housatonic, and it was the first submarine submarine to sink a vessel in war. Okay, and then, so that war ended in 1865, and uh, it says, Federal photographers under the supervision of Matthew Brandy arrived to record the flag-raising ceremony at Fort Sumter, making the anniversary of Major Anderson's surrender to Confederate forces. They then moved through the city, documenting damage from bombardment and fire. So yeah, so the war ends in 1865, and that's when the bombardment stops. Okay, so the south of South Carolina is called the Low Country, and it's struck by a huge earthquake. It was a 7.5 earthquake, which is huge. And 83 people died, and there were $6 million in damage, which in 1886 money is a lot. Um, okay. There was, in 1901, the South Carolina Interstate and West Indian Exposition, which is essentially a world fair. It says it's like the forerunner to a world fair. Brought 700,000 people from around the nation into Hampton Park. Uh, so that's kind of cool. It was like, kind of like a world fair. And then, let's see. A new dance craze begins in Charleston's pubs and dance halls and spreads across the nation, soon to be named the Charleston. Now, I did swing dancing in college. I still love swing dancing, although I really need to go actually do it again because it's been a while. But the Charleston is like my absolute favorite move. And... I wonder, like, when it started, if it was all kind of the young kids and all the adults were like, oh, all these kids are doing the Charleston. Like, I'm trying to think of a dance move now that's kind of the same. Like, like maybe a TikTok dance or, um, yeah, there's a few that I feel like kids are doing now. And I'm wondering if, like, in 100 years, people will just be doing that. They'll call it, like, oh, the TikTok or something, you know? <laughs> like, I wonder how that actually started but the charleston is like the best dance of all swing dances and reading that wanted to just made me want to like swing dance again so um that's where the charleston comes from it was in 1925 okay the charleston symphony orchestra was founded in 1935 um 1951 we're starting to get into like civil rights era sort of stuff um 
well, I guess not quite yet, but in 1951, Charleston Judge J. Wattis Waring or Waring dissents from a federal district court decision upholding the separate but equal doctrine in Briggs v. Elliott. So we're still in the separate but e quote separate but equal time at this point. <clears throat> okay. U.S. Supreme Court accepts Judge Waring's dissent in Briggs v. Elliott as the basis for their unanimous opinion overturning the separate but equal doctrine in the Brown v. Board of Education in Topeka. So there was a big, there was a long history of like, basically of racism in South Carolina with like the slave trade and then them seceding from the Union and things like that. But Judge Waring from South Carolina, his dissent was used as justification to overturn separate but equal. So Brown v. Board of Education was very much influenced by a South Carolinian, uh, kind of indirectly, but that's why they were able to justify Brown v. Board of Education. Okay, 1963, Charleston Rivers High School becomes the first racially integrated high school in South Carolina. So Brown v. Board of Education, I'm always shocked by this. And I guess I shouldn't be because it's like the eighth state that I've studied. But N Brown v. Board of Education was was filed or was uh, accepted in 1954, which, you know, said you can't not allow like black kids into a school. It... it basically said you had to integrate schools. The first school wasn't integrated until 1963, which is like nine years later. It was such slow going um, to actually get schools integrated. And that was only 60 years ago. I can't believe that 60 years ago, schools were still segregated. Like the first school in South Carolina became integrated uh, 59 years ago. Pretty wild. Um, it's hard to imagine that that was even a thing, but okay, let's see. Okay, the first, the construction of Charleston Place, a hotel shopping convention center, sets off a building and rehabilitation boom in the downtown business district of Charleston. That was in 1982. There was a powerful category four, category four hurricane the winds were 131 to 155 miles per hour slammed into the city with a 12 to 17 foot wall of water rolling over Fort Sumter around midnight of September 1st, 1989. It says the barrier islands are inundated and an estimated 80% of homes on Sullivan's Island are badly damaged or destroyed. So again, the, the big risk that you run in these coastal, like southern coastal states is hurricanes. It seems like a lot of their histories have a long history of hurricanes. I'm glad in our state, like Colorado kind of gets the best of both worlds because we, at least where I live in Colorado, we don't have like, we don't have tornadoes. We don't really have, I mean, we definitely don't have hurricanes. We have some hail, but like pretty infrequently. We don't really have a lot of weather and that makes me very happy reading about like when you read about all of these hurricanes that are happening in these coastal states it makes you grateful that you don't have any hurricanes and you don't live by water even though i miss the water okay in 2000 south carolina removed its last confederate flag flying above the u.s state house 
Okay, let me talk a little bit about the Confederate flag because I feel like somehow the flying of the Confederate flag has now been like kind of a conservative thing. And I don't know why we want to be associated with that. Like, I do not. I don't think you should be flying a traitor's flag. Like, let's just remove any racial thing for a minute, any racial connotation, because a lot of people say it's not racist to fly the Confederate flag. It's just the Southern culture and it describes kind of Southern pride and yeah, just Southern culture as a whole. Well, guess what? The Confederate flag was a symbol of being a traitor to the United States. So why are you still flying a traitor's flag? You know, even if it is because of, you know, even if someone individually is not flying it because of a racial reason, which can be debated, I guess, but even if it's not because of a racial thing, why are you flying a flag that fought literally against the United States? That makes no sense. So I have actually no problem with the Confederate flag being retired from everything. Okay, um, 2004, Hurricane Gaston causes major flooding. Again, bad hurricanes. Um, in 2007, there was this warehouse fire in Charleston in a um, furniture warehouse store, and nine firefighters were killed. Let's see. Okay, in 2009, the Atlantic Coast Conference moved three future baseball tournaments out of state due to concerns from NAACP over state-sponsored display of the Confederate flag. Again, like the NAACP is arguing that it's all racial, which for some people it definitely may be, but I still don't understand why you would fly the Confederate flag when they lost the Civil War. Like... You're in America now. Let's fly the American flag. Um, okay. In 2010, this is very interesting. There was legislation that introduced the mandating of gold and silver to replace federal currency in the state. Um, I would have to probably go into more detail about what the implications were of that because we're not on like the gold standard anymore as a nation. So I don't really know what the implications would be of that, but that was passed in 2010. And then it says in 2011, states' immigration laws were challenged by 16 nations from Latin America and the Caribbean. So that is all about the timeline of South Carolina and kind of interesting that it was like pretty much 1720s or so that it actually split from North Carolina. I was not aware of that. So those... That was the timeline. Now let's talk a little bit about like the state symbols and stuff because um, there's some really interesting symbols that they have adopted as their state stuff. So there is a state amphibian, which is the spotted salamander. State animal is the white-tailed deer, which is pretty consistent with a lot of states. A lot of states chose the white-tailed deer. Their state beverage is, <clears throat> whoa, is also milk, which is pretty common. Their state bird is the Carolina wren, because it's found in Carolina. The tiger swallowtail butterfly, which is like a gold, it's like a yellow and black, very pretty butterfly, is their state butterfly. Their state dog, they are one of the states with a state dog, which is 
very exciting. Um, but their state dog is called the Boykin Spaniel. So I believe it was developed in South Carolina and it is actually so cute. So um, you should definitely look up a picture of a Boykin Spaniel or actually I'll probably post it on my Instagram because it's just adorable. So they do have a state dog that's an actual breed. The state fish is the striped bass. Um, state flower is the yellow jessamine. The state fruit is a peach, which is cool. I think they grow a lot of really good peaches there. State game bird, also common, is a wild turkey. They have state grass is the Indian grass. They also have a state low country handcraft, which is interesting. And that is a sweet grass basket, which I'm like 100% sure that I'm going to get a sweet grass basket at some point because they're so great looking we're kind of trying to go with cottage theme stuff in our new house and i feel like the sweet grass basket is like the ideal look of any basket i want like a hundred of them so if anyone has any need to get me a gift at any point if my family is listening to this and my birthday is coming up in december <laughs> um maybe a sweet grass basket would be a great option um but in all seriousness we'll probably buy one for our house because i just love the look of them. They also have a state hospitality beverage, which is South Carolina grown tea. Very Southern uh, sweet tea that right there. Uh, state marine mammal is the bottlenose dolphin. State migratory marine mammal is the northern right whale. Things like this a little bit, they kind of infuriate me because you know that they just wanted to name the whale as like some animal. So they had to make a very, very specific category called the state migratory marine mammal which how many of those are there really so um you know there's a lot of those okay again the state nickname is the palmetto state and that is because the state tree which let me get down to it is the uh the sable palmetto tree there's a state vegetable, which is collard greens, and state wildflower is the goldenrod. I'm trying to think if there's any, or see if there's any other interesting ones. State southern picnic cuisine is barbecue. State spider is the Carolina wolf spider. The state, sta uh, state snack is boiled peanuts, which I've never had. I've never had, like... A boiled peanut I've only had like raw peanuts so I'm kind of interested to try those and then the state reptile is the loggerhead sea turtle so that are those are the state symbols of South Carolina that's basically uh, all I wanted to recap there let's talk a little bit about the climate because it's kind of interesting and this goes along with my lack of knowledge that South Carolina is so southern because it's very similar to Georgia so they get above average rainfall. Again, the average for America is 38 inches. Their rainfall is about 48 inches, but their snow is drastically lower. They only average one inch of rainfall or of snowfall, and the US average is 28 inches. So they get precipitation an average amount of days for the US. The average is 106, and they get 103 days of precipitation. 216 sunny days which is above the national average by about 10 days and here's where we get 
to where I would probably not like it. Uh, the average July high temperature is 91 degrees. And the average January low temperature is 32 degrees. So it doesn't get super, super cold usually, but it gets very, very hot, which I don't really love. The average comfort index, which I, I missed the average comfort index in the other states. So I'm going to start adding that because I've said like the high and low comfort index or the summer winter. But the average comfort index is seven um, in like what, however they calculate that. And South Carolina's is 7.4. So it would suggest that to most people, this is a very comfortable state most of the time. The highest elevation, or the, or actually this is the highest, or, oh, I keep saying highest. The, the average elevation is 338 feet, and this varies so widely by state, but the average is 2,400, so um, very low. Obviously, it's right by sea level, so. Um, this says that there was a nice like summation of, okay, July is the hottest month for the South Carolina with an average temperature of 91, which ranks warmer than most states. In South Carolina, there are four comfortable months with high temperatures in the range of 70 to 85. The most pleasant months of the year in South Carolina are October, April, and May. So again, like you would assume like a lot of these states, the summer would be the most comfortable, but it gets so hot and humid in South Carolina that that is not a very good, it doesn't have a very good comfort index. It's not a very comfortable uh, time in South Carolina. So October, April, and May are actually the most enjoyable um, times. There was another one about, um, when the least well yeah so i think that's all i wanted to say oh yeah humidity so it gets up to about 70 percent humidity in like june july and august which doesn't seem crazy high sometimes although colorado has a humidity of like very very low like 10 percent, i want to say so imagine 70 percent humidity also being 91 degrees and that is why i could not probably live in south carolina but Maybe some people uh, really enjoy that, so that would be good. Okay, famous people from South Carolina include, actually there's kind of a lot of people who are famous from South Carolina. A few of them are Viola Davis, James Brown, Chris Rock, who just got slapped by Will Smith at the Oscars. I wanna start doing like a podcast, like maybe a Saturday one or something, or a Sunday one, talking about current events of the weeks just so I'm up to date and also just because it's probably interesting but the Will Smith like slap of Chris Rock at the Oscars was outrageous and I can't believe he didn't get kicked out of the ceremony and then he won and made a whole speech it's insane um that is besides the point the other people from South Carolina are Chadwick Boseman Kevin Garnett Joe Frazier Vanna White is from South Carolina um I'm trying to skip people who I don't know, which is a decent amount of this list. Aziz Ansari and Nikki Haley, all from South Carolina. So those are the people. And then there are a bunch of things to do in South Carolina. And I really, really want to go. So first of all, there's like the historic 
district of Charleston. So it has all these, you know, old buildings. It says there's more than 1,400 historic homes, churches, and other buildings that line the streets. Um, a lot happened down there. So you can take like a walking tour where you can peek into some of the buildings and it looks very cool to learn about all that history. Myrtle Beach is also in South Carolina, which looks beautiful. There's South Carolina plantation gardens. So it says 2000 plus plantations are open to visitors. And so it names a few Boone Hall plantation, Middle Middleton place and Magnolia plantation are all there. And they're just these beautiful gardens that you can walk around and, um, and learn about history there. Hilton Head Island is another good beach kind of destination. Fort Sumter and Charleston Harbor are both there, which are very important historical uh, points. The attack on Fort Sumter um, began the American Civil War, so that was big. USS Yorktown is um, a huge ship, and it says at Patriots Point, on the other side of the harbor from the historic district, you can tour the historic aircraft carrier USS Yorktown. So that was built in 1943, and it was the 10th aircraft carrier to serve in the U.S. Navy. It earned 11 battle stars for service in World War II and added five battle stars for service in Vietnam. Uh, there's also the Huntington Beach State Park, which is good, they say, for watching wildlife and kind of sightseeing there. There's the State Museum more gardens. So lots of activities and historical landmarks that you can go visit if you are going to South Carolina. So that is all I have for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. South Carolina is a very interesting state with, you know, kind of a mixed history, you know, definitely like any of those southern states during the Civil War. It's kind of like there's a, a dark spot in the history, but they have from what I can tell, recovered very well. There's beautiful geography. There's like good Southern hospitality and all of that. So very interesting to learn about. And now I want to go and swing dance and do the Charleston. So anyway, that's all for this week. I will see you on Monday for a new podcast episode. And thank you all for listening. Bye everyone.